Good morning. Yeah, this is a special weekend with the Naval Academy graduation and Memorial Day. And uh, we remember those that have uh, given their lives for our country. In fact, I'm named after a Navy bosun mate that was killed in World War II on a ship, Ace Cochran. But anyway, uh, I'm going to re- be reading from uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. And it has to do with the future glory. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of God. Lord, uh, bless uh, Bruce as he gives our message. We just uh, praise you, Lord, that we are in this uh, for this day. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bruce O'Neill, and I'm the pastor. And I will be explaining the text that Ace read to us just a minute ago. But I do want to recognize that on Thursday and Friday, uh, a number of people in our church celebrated uh, graduation, uh, both at the Naval Academy and a couple of private schools here locally. Uh, But then there are university students that have returned home because they graduated wherever they are. And to you, uh, congratulations. Also, tomorrow is Memorial Day. And Memorial Day is our nation's opportunity to celebrate and to remember those who uh, gave the ultimate sacrifice uh, for our country and for us. And so we'll be celebrating that tomorrow. But it's also an opportunity for us to think and to contemplate our own deaths. Now, that didn't sound very exciting for a message, uh, but because... For those who are in Christ, that means heaven. Do you ever think much about heaven? Do you think much about what life will be like after your death? That's what our text uh, gives us hope in and helps us to begin to think through because our text uh, is going to teach us that having hope gives us a perspective on this life and in this life. But it also uh, gives us a perspective on our work that we do in this life and then ultimately suffering in this life. And so with those themes in mind, the Bible teaches us that when we die, our souls, our, our inward beings immediately are in the presence of the Lord and our bodies reside in the grave. Whatever 
uh, that my form might take for you. But our, the Bible also says that that's not the end. The end isn't that we have the immortality of the soul, but a resurrection. And so there's going to be a day when Jesus returns and he's going to make all things new in which we will be the first fruits. That is that we will get a new bodies. I don't mean that in the sense of your old body won't be around. Your old body will be made so much better than the the way it used to be, the way it is now, that the only way to describe it will be to call it new. That's what Jesus' body was like when he was resurrected after three days after the crucifixion. They didn't recognize him, but then they did recognize him. That is, his body was so much better than what it once was that they had our time recognizing him. Well, this is what Paul gets at in Philippians 1.6 when he says, I'm confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of the Lord. That at the day of the Lord refers to that completion not when you die, but at the resurrection when Jesus returns. Theologians call that glorifications, that you will be so glorified, you will be so much better than you are now, and even in the state in between the way you are now and then, that it's a glorious thing. And so with that in mind, have you ever wondered what that will be like? Psalms puts it this way. The trees of the field will clap their hands and the mountains and the hills will sing. Paul even says in verse 22, for we now, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning. Creation seems to be taken on human characteristics of, of singing and clapping and groaning. One way to think of it is, is that you and I are not the only beings that are going to be glorified. That everything is going to be so much better than it is now that the only way we'll be able to describe it is to call it new because it seems that it'll be doing something totally different than what it can do right now. Clapping hands and singing, rejoicing and praising God. And so if a, if a tomato then is going to be better than us now, have you ever contemplated what we will be like then? It's beyond our imaginations, and yet it takes our imaginations to even wonder about what it will be like. How much time do we spend thinking about heaven? Probably, if you're like me, not much. We're a lot like first graders thinking about college, not very often. Some parents are probably saying, I wish I could get my 11th grader to think about college. But when we begin to think about heaven and the distance from where we sit right now, we think it's so far in the future that we don't think about it often. And yet, Paul is writing chapter 8 to get us to begin to think about it. In fact, says it's essential to live in the here and now, to have perspective on where we're going. Is being heavenly minded any earthly good? Paul says, yes, assuredly, yes. Heaven gives us this perspective on life that we're living right now. And it gives us hope in the life that we now live. 
Heaven gives us this perspective in that it affects, affects the choices we make. It's, it, heaven is like a GPS system for our souls. That is, is that, you know how a GPS works? It, it directs you, turn left, turn right. Why? Because you've plugged into it where you're going. That is, try to get directions from your GPS without telling it where you're going. It doesn't work that way. The way the GPS is going to work is that there's a final destination. There's a place in which we are going that tells us to the right or to the left. And therefore, all of our present choices, everything about us, all of our decisions are made in light of where we're going. The distant horizon for those who love your ships, they tell you what your present decisions are going to be. That's how the soul has its own GPS, that we're either destined to heaven or somewhere else. And therefore, we evaluate everything by our telos. A telos is a Greek word that means purpose, destination, the end, our true home, the true north that directs us. We live with the end in mind. The way one writer put it, this day is to be lived in light of that day. The day in which I now live is determined by the day in which Christ returns and makes all things new. And nothing shapes that perspective more than your eternal destination, including suffering. I found this great quote from Teresa of Avila. She's a, a French lady who was one of the first female writers uh, for Christianity. And she wrote this about our destination and suffering. She said, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen as no more than one night in an inconvenient hotel. Don't hear her make little of suffering. She knew lots about suffering. She lived at a time where suffering was every day for most people. She's making much of heaven. That if we make much of heaven, it puts the present in perspective, including our suffering. And I think that's important because heaven not just gives us perspective in this life, it gives us hope in this life. If this is all that there is, then we have an earthbound hope. And if we have an earthbound hope, it's just optimism that will someday be disappointed. Because optimism without heaven always disappoints. Because God is not there. I was looking for some definitions for you for hope. And I found a second century writer, Tertullian, who is a theologian at the time, said, in a nice, easy way to remember, hope is patience with the lantern lit. Hope is patience with the lantern lit. What he means is what Paul says here in verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? 
in verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What both Tertullian and Paul understood that hope is not seen. It's hoping in something that is not easily apparent to us, but just as real. And therefore, we patiently wait for it. But one way we show that we're waiting for it is that we turn our lanterns on. That is, we don't ignore that it's coming. We don't act like it's not coming. But we act in accord and so we patiently await with the lantern lit because at any moment, Jesus might come. Heaven tells us we have this glorious destiny where everything sad is going to come untrue. But we can't see it. And that's why we need hope. Because we are eagerly waiting for it with the lantern lit. Because there, every injustice is going to be made right. And there, every disease is going to be cured. And there, every tear is going to be wiped away. And there, every longing is going to be finally satisfied. And so you have to ask the question, if that's where we're going, and that's the way our posture is supposed to be, why don't we have this perspective? Why don't we have this hope? And you might say, well, I've got it. Great. But for the rest of us who struggle with perspective in this life and struggle with hope in this life, why don't we? Let me give you just three reasons I think this is true. Why when somebody brings up heaven, our eyes glass over and can't wait till we get to something more practical. When there is nothing more practical than our hope in heaven. You see, I think that's very, very important. So the first reason that I think is that we are incredibly, absurdly practical people. What I mean by that is, is that we are focused on what is right in front of us. And sad to say, most of the time, that's our smartphones. This makes us and makes our lives so small and often sad because we're nothing beyond what we can get on our smartphone. Nothing, nothing that we can hope in any greater than what it can bring us. Let me use a parable to kind of show you just how absurd we can be. The parable's not true. It's about twins in the mother's womb. So obviously, who could know? The parable goes like this. One of the twins uh, says to the other, do you believe in the life after birth? The other twin says, no, that's ridiculous. When we leave this place, it's nothing but darkness and cold. The first twin says, I I I think it's going to be wonderful. I believe there's light and warmth. I believe we will use these legs for running. These eyes will see beautiful things. And I believe we will get to meet mother. The other twin says, oh, that's just a fairy tale. There's no such being as mother. It's just you and me, kid. The first twin says, no, sometimes I can hear her voice. 
Sometimes I can feel her love. I even get a sense that she's all around us. And that she's waiting for us. Don't you see? If we can only focus on the here and now, what we can see right in front of us, that's just absurd. So much of who we are can't be seen. I think the second reason is that suffering is really not part of our lives, not daily. Because death has been so sanitized and normalized in our culture that you and I, people we know, we don't need heaven to sustain us anymore. We've got enough here. But it seems that those who suffer most acutely long mostly for home, for heaven. So therefore, the greater the grief, that is, the nastier your now is, the more profound your need for heaven is felt. Maybe you and I are just too comfortable here to want heaven. And that's a shame. I think the third reason is simply this. We have stunted imaginations. The irony of this image-driven culture that you and I live in, the 21st century America, with all of its technology at our fingertips, it's produced a small mind with small imagination. This is what Walter Bergerman, who wrote in his book, He said the key pathology of our time, which seduces us all, is the reduction of the imagination so that we are too numbed, satiated, and co-opted to do serious imaginative work. And over against that, Paul says, set your mind on the things above. What he doesn't go on to say, but we know to be true, is that without an imaginative mind, we can't do that. We can't set our minds on the things above without an imagination. This requires us to image what is real, but what is unseen. Because heaven is not visible, does not make it less real. Heaven is real, but unseen. We know that because so many things about our lives are real, but unseen. Scientists tell us that you and I are sitting on a planet that is spinning a thousand miles an hour. You and I have no idea because we can't feel it. But just because we can't feel it and because we can't see it does not mean it's not true, that it's not real. So many things, the air in which we breathe, the love in which we receive, so much can't be seen, but they are real. Heaven's like that. Nobody here has had firsthand experience in heaven. And so it takes the imagination to image in our minds what the scriptures teach about where we're going. That we might have an imagination of what it might look like. Because heaven for most of us, if not all of us for this day, the only way we're going to access heaven is through our imaginations. Now back to the text. The hope of heaven 
changes everything, particularly in two areas that I, that I want us to focus on here. And then we'll be done. It changes the, our understanding, our expectation, our perspective on our work. What we do every day. But it also changes our expectations and our experience with suffering that we experience not every day for most of us. And so first, our, our work. Heaven gives us meaning to our work. The, the way verse 20 says is that, that creation is subjected to futility. That word futility means frustration. That is, creation has been frustrated by the fall. Everything that we do doesn't work out the way we plan. It often leaves us frustrated. It is often incomplete when we're done. Many times it goes unnoticed. How many, how many times does someone do something grand for you and then you missed it? You didn't even notice. But also, much of what we'll do, our life's work, will be forgotten by most. I can empathize with Paul's quote, creation is subjected futility. So much of my life is frustrating because it just doesn't work out the way I planned. I see it as an incomplete work, sometimes unappreciated, and if I'm truly honest, will be forgotten. J.R. Tolkien knows. He's the writer of The Lord of the Rings. Did you know after 20 years writing The Lord of the Rings, he stopped? His work was incomplete. Because he got so frustrated. The characters were so complicated. The backstories got so big. The, the plot line and the subplots were all over the place that eventually he gave up after 20 years. And the work was uncompleted. World War II broke out just as at that time. And so everybody kind of expected Tolkien to stop. Because nobody knew if Britain was going to survive. Well, he went to his country estate and it was there that he had a dream. And he woke up from his dream and he had a short story in his mind. So he sat down and in one day he wrote the, short, the whole short story. You can get the short story. It's called Leaf by Niggle. And Niggle is a word that means this. To work in a fitting or ineffective way to spend time unnecessarily on petty details. Niggle is Tolkien. He's writing this story about a long journey that Niggle is going to go on toward his own death that he doesn't want to go. But he has a vision that he wants to see produced of a painting because Niggle is a painter in this vision that he believes that he has of a leaf and then a tree and then a forest and then a whole new country that he wants to get on a canvas. And so he goes home and in his his theater where he paints, he puts a canvas is it as big as the walls, big as the house. Because he wants to start with a leaf and then he wants to finish the tree and then he wants to do the forest and then finally the country. But he begins to do this work and as he's doing this work, he starts with a leaf. And every time he gets what he thinks is finished with the leaf, he looks at it and he's disappointed and he's discouraged and he paints over the leaf and starts again. Year after year, 
even though Niggle is going to die and he's starting to get sick, he has only made it past this single leaf that is on this big canvas. When he dies, the townspeople come to his, his studio and they see this humongous canvas with a single leaf. This leaf is so beautiful, so intricate, so detail-oriented that they, they take the canvas apart and they bring it into the town square uh, uh, museum and they put it up and they entitled the work Leaf by Niggle. Meanwhile, the rest of the story is Niggle going to heaven. And when he gets to heaven, he hears two voices, justice and mercy. Justice says, Niggle wasted his life on a single leaf. Mercy says, Niggle imagined redemption. Because there in heaven, as the doors open up, Niggle's able to see the finished tree. He started a leaf, but it became a tree. This is the Christian understanding of work. This is what Romans 8 is getting out about our work being frustrating, incomplete, unappreciated by some and forgotten by most. But in the new heavens, no matter what we do here, it's going to be finished there in Christ. As Paul Harvey used to say, there's the rest of the story and the rest of the niggle story of Tolkien is that as soon as he finishes this beautiful short story, he begins to work again and finishes The Lord of the Rings. That originally was one book that was so big that the publishers divided it into three parts so that you and I can have it in three movies. (laughs) Know this. This is what the scriptures teach. In the Lord, your labor is never in vain. Whatever leaf you are currently working on, raising your children, working at your office, building something, repairing something, whatever it is, maybe it's a a piece of art, maybe it's a piece of music, maybe it's something that you are being creative to do, no matter what it is, it'll it'll bring you frustration. And often, you're not going to finish it. At least not to the level that you want. Because there's not enough time. And it, for many, what you do is going to go unappreciated. And, and sometimes by the very people you love, or at least you want to love you. And quite frankly, most of what you will do, most of what I will do, will be forgotten here on earth. But... Whatever leaf you are currently working on in heaven is going to be a tree. It's going to be finished. Which brings us to suffering. This is so beautiful. Heaven gives us hope in suffering. We have two very uh, precious people. and We've got hundreds of precious people. But can I just tell you about two? Uh, two is uh, uh, David and, and Catherine Malloy. I'm so happy they weren't here today because <laughs> it's just been hard. Three years ago, Dave is the one of the most generous people I know, just would give you everything. But three years ago, he went into the hospital to have a, what I call simple, what 
everybody else calls major surgery because it happened to him. He had a valve that was a mechanical valve to be replaced. Well, they ended up not replacing it and replacing a different valve because another part of his heart was failing. A couple of surgeries later, he wasn't even awake. And we weren't sure if he was going to survive because he spent all summer in the hospital and then he spends all, all the fall in rehab. But it was when he was in the hospital that we would go and, and see him and bless the Gideons that they put a Bible in almost every hospital room. Because I, I took out the Gideon Bible. I was just looking for something encouraging because the doctor's words weren't. Because they didn't know why he was like he was and they didn't know if he was ever going to get better. And so I, I, I get to Romans 8. Do you ever wonder, and I did this as I was sitting there, how many tears fell on those pages in a hospital, in a Gideon Bible? This is what Romans 8, 18 says. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Real present suffering gives life to those words. You see, up till then, they're just words. And I don't mean that they're not God's words, they're not reliable, they're not truthful, but they're not personal. They're not life-altering until you're in a context that they're applied to. It doesn't make them less true, it doesn't make them less beautiful, it's just not personal. But at that moment, Dave and Catherine's suffering and my suffering for their suffering made those words come alive. How could this present suffering not overshadow all the glory? Well, you have to remember how this chapter ends, which Ace didn't read to us because it wasn't part of the text. But hear these words. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, when we suffer or someone we love suffers, when we suffer for them, then these kinds of words take root and grow and provide hope. Because someday, Dave and Catherine's suffering will come to an end. Because in heaven, he will get a beautiful, glorious body that works. Therefore, you and I can never read verses like this again the same way. To whatever degree, Dave's health will be restored He is still only a leaf, but I can see a tree because of that verse. Here's the point of our text. Don't miss it. The hope of of heaven allows us to see the trees. Without the hope of heaven, all we can see are the leaves. The frustrating incomplete, unappreciated, forgotten leaves of our lives and the lives of others. But with heaven, we see the trees. 
the forest and the new country. You see, heaven makes us truly useful and hopeful in this life. And that those that have been touched by grief are lifted up by hope. Because Jesus said, I am the first resurrection. I'm the first fruits and you will follow me. Jesus in his resurrection, you know, in the early church before they had Bibles, they still had the story of the resurrection. In fact, often every Sunday was called Resurrection Sunday because that's all they talked about. Because that's all they had. Because Jesus didn't, he wasn't resurrected so that he might escape earth. Jesus was resurrected because we might have hope of the new body we will get when all things are made new. That's why Paul says in verse 23 that we await the redemption of our bodies. That doesn't happen at your death. That only happens in the day of the Lord when he comes back and makes all things new. N.T. Wright says it this way. That first Easter was not about happy endings to a sad story. It was the beginning of a new story where all of our work is part of that story. Every endeavor, everything you do, whether you join Bono and try to remove AIDS from the world, or you go out there and try to relieve poverty, or maybe you've decided to give your life to education, or maybe you've given your life to health care, whatever you're giving your life to, it is a leaf that will become a tree. It is only a leaf now. But can you see the tree? Heaven gives you a picture in your imagination of a forest, of trees, of a new country where all things are made new. And this gives me a whole new perspective on you. You're not half asleep, half listening, half making your lunch list. Your trees. You're incomplete. You're frustrated. You're underappreciated and often forgotten. But your trees, one day when Jesus comes back, we will all be made new. And you will be a tree. All the things that you've longed for to be right will be right. And that gives you meaning and purpose to the here and now and to your suffering. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much that you have given us words, not just on how to live, but perspective and hope. Hope that is patience with the lantern lit We eagerly await our bodies to be redeemed and resurrected where all things are made new. Where the frustration of our work, the incompleteness of our work, the underappreciation of our endeavors. And if we truly think it out, that much of what we will have done will be forgotten. 
is made up for in the glory to come. Where the sweetness and the beauty and the glory might catch our imaginations now. So that though we suffer now, our our now is nasty. It will be made up for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.